Ugh, I love Jenny Kane. At this very moment, I'm feeling so comfy and cozy as I'm practically getting a hug from my Jenny Kane crop cashmere cocoon cardigan. I am enjoying this sweater so much that I've been living in it all spring long. And with Mother's Day just around the corner, this is a feeling you can gift all the well-deserving moms, moms-to-be, and mother figures in your life by giving them the gift of Jenny Kane. Along with bringing you this episode, Jenny Kane is a California brand through and through, and their staples make getting dressed so super easy. Think minimalist and effortless, but totally refined. Jenny Kane means luxurious cashmere sweaters, iconic accessories, elevated versions of your everyday basics, plus the most incredible home essentials. For a limited time, Birthful listeners get 15% off their first order. Go to JennyKane.com and use the code BIRTHFUL15 to get 15% off and support the show. Jenny Kane is known for their quintessential sweaters, with their cotton collection providing you with the perfect everyday pieces as the days get warmer. But they also have gorgeous sundresses in a variety of silhouettes for any occasion and spectacular sandals to go along with them. Find the perfect Mother's Day gift or curate your new spring go-tos at JennyKane.com. Birthful listeners get 15% off your first order when you use the code BIRTHFUL15 at checkout. That's 15% off your first order at J-E-N-N-I-K-A-Y-N-E dot com, promo code BIRTHFUL15. Get yourself and the mothers in your life the gift of Jenny Kane. Pregnancy and postpartum are some of the most nutritionally demanding times of your life, which makes sense because you're basically acting as your baby's pantry while pregnant or nursing. That's why the quality of your prenatal supplements is so vitally important. Hands down, the one I recommend is needed, so I'm thrilled to say that if you use the code BIRTHFUL at thisisneeded.com, you can get 20% off your first month of needed products. Needed is the number one nutrition brand recommended and used by me and over 4,000 practitioners, from nutritionists to midwives, functional medicine doctors, and OBGYNs. Needed is for anyone trying to conceive, pregnant, postpartum, and really, this is goodness you can use even before and beyond the perinatal years. Along with prenatals, Needed offers premium supplements for every stage, from egg quality support to a lactation support plan, a stress and sleep support plan, and a gut health plan. In fact, I've had clients rave about Needed's pre- and probiotic formula, saying how much better it made them feel compared to their usual probiotics. And to me, Needed's hydration support packets, which only have ingredients you can pronounce, are a must in any doula or hospital bag. Also, Needed's prenatal multi is available in capsules and easy-to-take vanilla powder for those with nausea or pill fatigue. Head over to thisisneeded.com and use the code BIRTHFUL for 20% off your first month of Needed products. That's thisisneeded.com and use the code BIRTHFUL for 20% off your first month of Needed products. 
Welcome to the Birthful Podcast. I'm Adriana Lozada, and today's breastfeeding story is with Melissa Statler. Melissa had a quick and mostly flowing birth, and feeling elated, she placed her newborn to her breast, only to be met with excruciating pain and instant damage to her nipples. As her confidence drained, she was informed that because her baby was large for gestational age, she would have to meet certain sugar level requirements during the first series of feedings, adding stress to injury. How did Melissa overcome these and more breastfeeding problems to have the satisfying and nurturing breastfeeding relationship she has today? Stay tuned. The Birthful Podcast, talking to maternity pros and new parents to inform your intuition. Hello, Mighty Parents and Parents-to-be. Welcome, welcome. Thank you, as always, for all the love you give the show. And if what you hear is helpful, do make sure you subscribe. It is free, and that way you won't miss a thing. All right, so my guest today is Melissa Statler, and I love that she wanted to share her breastfeeding story since we don't do that that often. And after we recorded, though, Melissa wrote to say that there were a few things that she forgot to mention, which were that one, she did not tear, and that even with the shoulder dystocia, birthing her quote-unquote big baby was not a frightening or traumatic experience. She also wanted me to stress the importance of postpartum preparation in addition to birth preparation because she felt she got caught up in the anticipation of the birth and she overlooked that postpartum adjustment, uh, including breastfeeding. And in retrospect, she thinks it would have really helped to have a course. So that's what Melissa wanted me to tell you um, that she forgot to say. So let's get to it. Here we go. Welcome, Melissa. It is really great to have you here on the show. Hello. (laughs) I was super excited when you reached out wanting to share your breastfeeding stories because we don't get that many of those. Um, But before we get into that, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, um, I am a first time mom of an almost 10 month old baby girl. Her name's Claire. Um, Before Claire, I was a teacher for a couple of years. I taught. sixth grade for one year, um, sixth grade literacy. And then I taught high school for one year, um, IB, junior English, and then also some freshman technology classes. Uh, So it was kind of mixed there. But um, I only taught for the two years and then started looking for something different. I was actually working in the medical billing department. I wasn't an actual biller, but um, for our local hospital. And That's where I worked the whole time I was pregnant. And now I am focusing mainly on my photography business that I I do portraits, um, weddings. And this year, this past year, I actually got to photograph my first birth, um, which was amazing. (laughs) And I I would love to do more of that. Um, Not that I, I love all portraits, but I... This year, I would really like to try and find some more birth clients because it was kind of a special thing. Yeah, um, congratulations. <laughs> and I did see um, the photos that you sent me in some of your photos and on your Instagram feed, and they're gorgeous. You do you. beautiful work. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Claire is 10 months now. Why don't We are going to focus mainly on, um, on the breastfeeding, on your breastfeeding journey. But for context, why don't you give us a little bit about what happened during the birth? What were your wishes for during the pregnancy, what you wanted to, you know, the type of birth that you wanted to have, and then what happened? Yeah, so I, going into um, choosing my provider, I had no idea 
what I was even looking for. So I um, kind of by default just went with the same OB that my sister-in-law um, that had delivered my sister-in-law's baby. And um, I ended up really loving her, but I, over the course of my pregnancy, decided that it was really important to me to try and do an unmedicated birth. Um, I took a birthing class, and my husband and I both did, and and I really just wanted to try and do things in the hospital as naturally as I could. Um, I wanted to try and avoid inductions, um, and I ended up being kind of lucky that the hospital I delivered at was a baby-friendly hospital, so they just kind of by protocol do the direct immediate skin to skin after birth, the delayed cord clamping. Um, and I guess my provider told me that she was kind of one of the leading voices in getting the direct skin to skin after even C-sections and things like that at the hospital. Um, but yeah, my goal was to, to go into it and try to do it as naturally as I could in that hospital mm -hmm. setting. And then how did things start and what happened? Um, it happened way more quickly than I thought it would. I, uh, <laughs> I was very prepared. Um, I'm a very planning oriented kind of person. So I did a whole bunch of research before I listened to this podcast every day for my entire third trimester. So I felt like I was prepared for any scenario. Um, but it, the whole total labor was six hours and 45 minutes from start to finish. Um, my contractions from the very beginning were five minutes apart for a full hour. Um, I remember waking up my husband and being like, just so you know, I think I'm in labor, but I think we have time. And he made me get in the car <laughs> and <laughs> packed up everything anyway. And by the time we got in the car, they were one to three minutes apart the whole way to the hospital. And uh, I was dilated to a five by the time we got there. So they admitted me and... Um, I ended up getting in the tub when I got into my labor room thinking at that point, okay, I'm going to find some sort of rhythm. I am going to get into this and, um, kind of ready to settle into the contractions. And they just got more and more intense as I sat there in the bath and I was like, this is escalating so quickly. And, uh, out of nowhere, I felt like I was pushing without even trying. I told my husband I was like um <laughs> I'm pushing like right now like this is just happening so he calls the nurses in and um it was I don't know exactly how long it was at that point but it felt like a matter of minutes and my water broke and I was pushing <laughs> um the pushing stage actually took the longest I mean not the longest but it uh, it was two hours so a larger percentage of the time um but yeah so uh she ended up having, or I guess I ended up having some shoulder dystocia problems, though. Um, she, once I, when I started pushing, they realized that she was kind of stuck under my pubic bone. Um, and so she had me kind of change positions a little bit and try to get her out from under there. But that took a long time. So she was kind of turtling um, in and out. And... Uh, once her head was out or just... Uh... Um, her head wasn't out. So, yeah, it was just, yeah. like, her head kept crowning and then, like, retreating and then crowning and retreating. Um, for most of the pushing time. Um, and which that is tricky because that's very common that the head kind of, like, 
when with the contraction, the head crowns more, you see more, and then it retreats just to, to give your tissues a stretch. But it isn't, yeah, until it gets right past that pubic bone and, and the head, sort of the chin extends so that it can't go back in. Yeah. Um, yeah. But depending on how long it was, like, I'm sure she was seeing something different with the, if she was figuring shoulder dystocia from seeing the head. Yeah. Or from seeing just the crowning. Yeah. And so that was, I guess, um, just from what I've read on it, just kind of one of the first signs was the in and out. Um, and then it was after her head came out that her shoulders actually like got locked in. Um, right. So she That's did, she where the dystocia happens. Yeah. So she wasn't rotating, um, kind of got locked in. And at that point, they kind of pressed on my stomach I guess, from above, and then my doctor was helping her rotate um, from below because um, my contraction had ended at that point, um, and I couldn't really push anymore, but she was stuck in a way that they needed to get her out mm. um, right away. So they kind of had my husband step aside, and it was kind of this really quick but crazy moment <laughs> where I was just kind of like, yeah, get her out of here, and... Um, they took her uh, right away and checked her collarbones and everything. Um, she ended up being just fine. There were no injuries or other complications, but yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then she was there. But it felt like a roller coaster for sure. Um, that is a whirlwind. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, and considering that you woke up and contractions started just so, were they, they were five minutes apart, but were they feeling really strong or were they more crampy? Like, yeah, so they, those, yeah, they were definitely different than I'd been having the Braxton Hicks contractions and I could definitely tell a difference, but it wasn't, it wasn't painful by any means. It was just sort of, yeah, like a, like a cramp and I was kind of walking around the house um, but timing them from the beginning and, and uh, yep, five minutes apart for the whole first hour. Okay. So, and how, do you know how long they were lasting? Were there short ones? About long? a minute long okay. each time. Yeah. So you started right up. Well, not too intense, but really close together. <laughs> yeah. And it was, um, by the time we had packed everything up and gotten in the car, the, the hospital is like a 40 minute drive from where we lived at the time. And um, by the time we got in the car, that whole drive, they were a lot more intense. I started kind of doing this like shaman chant thing (laughs) in the car that I, in my leg would like shake. And I was just kind of actually starting to feel it. And it was, it was a little concerning at that point because I was like going into it, wanting to do the natural labor. And in the car, I was so uncomfortable and I was like, these are feeling so much more intense now. I like, if it gets worse than this, I don't know. <laughs> but after I got out of the car, it was a lot, a lot better. Um, mm-hmm. I kind of took breaks going from the car, from the parking garage into the hospital. I would kind of like turtle tuck on the ground when each contraction would hit and then stand back up and be like, okay. And we kind of made our way minute to minute <laughs> into the hospital that way. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, it, it seems like you had what we call the precipitous birth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so fast. Um, and I will link on the show notes an episode I have on shoulder dystocia, uh, or yes, with Rachel Reed, um, Big Babies and Shoulder Dystocia. Oh, how yeah. big was your baby? 
Yeah, that's actually, I've been, I saw that episode a while back and I've been wanting to listen to it. Um, she was eight pounds, nine and a half ounces. So they did classify her as large for her gestational age. How many weeks were, how far along were you? Um, 39 and three days. Yeah. So for 39, three, eight pounds, nine, um, and you said in a quarter? Nine yeah. and a half. Yeah. Nine and a half. Um, is is a decent sized baby for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it definitely surprised us too because um, my I was not measuring larger than usual, and my husband and I are both kind of tall, lanky. Um, yeah, she. Mm -hmm. Well, clearly you had the space. I yeah, grow <laughs> her. Yeah, yeah. Um, when you were pushing, were you still? in the tub like because you said it took two hours yeah so um my provider didn't do water births um so I did have to get out of the tub um but I I started I got out of the tub and I felt most comfortable on my hands and knees um but it I put a few contractions that way and her heart rate kept dropping um so they had me turn over um for pushing and it's kind of, I'm not, that part is all kind of foggy because I was, I was like in that transition um, brain. But yeah, I, I was on my hands and knees and my water broke. I, a few contractions happened there. They checked your heart rate and it, it was steadily dropping. So they had me turn over and then I started pushing from there. Um, she was having me kind of like coaching me through the pushing. Um, but I also felt like if I didn't follow exactly what she was saying, like it was still working. I don't know. Like it, it felt kind of like a teamwork more than being bossed around, which I was grateful for because I, I, uh, I feel like I, I needed that, um, guidance, but, um, I didn't, I, I don't, I like being in control. I guess so I wanted to feel like I knew what I was doing and I could control what was happening and, it was a good balance between those things, I think. Mm -hmm. Did, and so, I mean, aside from the the whole situation with the shoulder dystocia, where I'm sure that was in, intense and, and even maybe anxiety producing or scary for you, your husband, um, when you got people sort of in that mode of, we've got to like something is up right mm -hmm. were you feeling like that or what or were you feeling that everything was going to be okay I think I think my husband was probably more afraid than I was um at for one I was really I was pretty loopy at that point and I like I said it was a it was a completely unmedicated birth but my natural hormones or whatever had just completely my thinking brain was gone. So I, mm -hmm. I, uh, um, I, I felt pretty confident with it. I just like had this sort of feeling or knowledge, like I trusted my provider and I trusted the people around me. My nurses had been amazing through the whole thing. And it's like, I, I could sense that something was wrong, but I didn't feel afraid. I guess I just, I, I remember saying like, get her out. Like I was just like, get her out, get her out. Like, cause I, I felt like I couldn't push anymore at that point, And I kind of relinquished that control for a minute and felt confident that they could do what they needed to do. Um, but yeah, mm -hmm. my husband was the one he had been right next to me and he was holding my leg for a lot of it. Um, and then they kind of pushed him aside. And I think he was 
definitely more aware of the situation than I was. And so more worried for sure. And it's, you know, it's precious minutes. So people get moving, doing whatever they're doing really fast, really quick. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So after she was born, you said they took her away for a second, did some checks. Did they, did she come back to you pretty quickly? Yeah. So, um, the only thing that didn't go, I guess the way that my plan had been, um, was that they cut her cord right away to take her and do all of the checks. Um, but they did bring her right back to me. It was like a matter of seconds. And so they, so the actual progression was, so they brought her up to my chest. She came out right up to my chest. I saw her for a brief moment and then they had to take her um, they cut the cord and took her away in the same room. Um, and then before I could even really register that she was gone, she was back on my chest again. Okay. Excellent. <laughs> yeah. So I, I was a little, I was disappointed, I guess, that the cord hadn't been able to stay intact a little longer. But, um, mm-hmm. but I mean, I'd, if in, it was a sort of a different situation, I guess. Right. At that point, they were concerned with other things. Um, And yeah, it's hard to interject in in that moment, Um, especially you're just coming down from, like you were saying, all those different altered brain states of labor land. Yeah. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, um, let's get right into your breastfeeding experience. We'll be right back. Ah, postpartum brain fog. Did you even know that was a thing? But I'm guessing that if you have little ones at home, you're probably feeling it, along with the increased mental load of trying to be a multitasking caregiver, facing the stressful demands of everyday life. And that's without even considering the added lack of sleep. It's definitely a lot, which is why I'm so appreciative of Needed's Cognitive Support Supplement created to help support key aspects of cognitive health like focus and attention, brain health and memory, and even alleviate brain fog and eye fatigue. Now, what makes Needed's Cognitive Support so unique is that unlike many other cognitive support supplements, Needed's is appropriate to take while breastfeeding. In fact, it was designed with this in mind. But don't just take my word for it. In an in-market study, 92% of people taking Needed's Cognitive Support saw an improvement in overall cognitive function, with 78% seeing an improvement in mental clarity, aka brain fog. And of these many positive reviews, my favorite is one that says, quote, This is my third postpartum period. This is the best I have felt mentally and physically, despite now having three kiddos to care for, end quote. Basically, taking Needed's Cognitive Support is an easy way to help reclaim your brain during postpartum. Head over to thisisneeded.com and use the code BIRTHFUL for 20% off your first month of Needed products. That's thisisneeded.com and use the code BIRTHFUL for 20% off your first month of Needed products. And we are back talking with Melissa Statler about her, well, we've talked about her her birth story, which is quite quick and with some drama or, or excitement or whatever you want to call it at the end, um, depending on your point of view. <laughs> and 
now, once she got back to your chest, how were those moments and how did um, she do with the latch and how did breastfeeding start? Um, yeah, so I, like I said, I had done a lot of preparation before birth and um, took a breastfeeding class as well. In addition to the birth class we took, my husband and I both went and and I had done other reading on my own online. And so I felt pretty confident going into the breastfeeding side of things. Um, I had been a lot more nervous for the birth um, and just felt like the breastfeeding would kind of fall into place, I guess. Um, I'd had people tell me that, you know, it can, it can be painful at first and you just kind of have to, um, adjust and it's a little bit of a learning curve. And I was like, yeah, okay, that's all I can, I can do things that are difficult. Like this is no problem, <laughs> and, uh, but that first latch. So I, she was on my chest. We had that, um, alone time to ourselves in our room in the hospital. And I went to breastfeed her for the first time. And I remember feeling almost cocky about it like I was just like yeah I can breastfeed this baby no problem and I put her up to my breast and um she she latched right on and I instantly like all of my confidence just like drained away because it was so incredibly painful I couldn't even keep her on for another second like it was that just excruciating pain and that's like coming from someone who had just birthed with no drugs like it was it was worse it was just like so sharp and and grating um and I was so afraid all of a sudden and I like called my nurse in and I was like something's wrong I need help um and she kind of helped me adjust and like it's like everything I had learned in my breastfeeding class just like went out the window but so she kind of like helped me calm down and give me a recap of like here's how her lips should look and and here's how you can get her to latch. And we kind of worked on it for a minute. Um, but it was definitely a, a big change in direction in my mind state. Uh, just going from sheer confidence to, wow, okay, this actually hurts a lot. <laughs> and what can I do about it? Um, but she worked with me for a while in the hospital there. And uh, it, it kind of became clear that I was not able to tolerate the pain um, without some sort of assistance. So she gave me the, a nipple shield in the hospital um, that I started using, and that made it tolerable to the point where I could keep breastfeeding her. Um, and so the thing with Claire was because she was born the um, large for her gestational age, they wanted to monitor her blood sugar. And so... Um, they were doing these blood sugar checks that she was passing for a while, but then she started to fail her blood sugar tests and her blood sugar was too low. Um, and so I, my milk hadn't come in yet at that point and they needed something to bring her blood sugar back up. So the first thing they gave her was, I don't, I, I don't remember. It, was that a glucose gel? Yes. Yep. That's exactly what it was. I knew it started with a G, but I couldn't remember the word. Um, so yeah, they gave her a glucose gel and that helped, but then she failed another blood sugar test and they suggested that I supplement and they gave me the option of formula or donor milk. Um, and that was sort of another um, wind out of my sails feeling um, because 
I, in our birth or breastfeeding class, they told us about how you can donate your breast milk and how our hospital accepts um, breast milk donations. And I was thinking in my head, like, of me being someone who could donate breast milk, not ever being someone who would need donated breast milk. <laughs> so it was like this, yeah, sort of deflating feeling again of like, oh, well, I, am I not, like, I can't feed this baby. I have one job right now and that's to feed this baby. And, and yeah, her blood sugar just kept dropping. And so, um, I got the donor milk and, um, I was terrified of all kinds of things. I was like, she's gonna like get nipple confusion and she's gonna not want to latch ever. And I'm never going to be able to breastfeed. She's only going to take bottles and all of these, I guess, anxious thoughts kind of going through my head, but it ended up being fine. Um, she would take the bottle and then she'd latch again and and take the bottle and latch again. Um, we were in the hospital for a couple days um, and she would take the donor milk periodically um, just until she was passing all her blood sugar tests. And uh, yeah, so that was our hospital <laughs> experience. And I'm going to backtrack in terms of trying to figure out, like it's it, obviously your milk hasn't come in because milk doesn't come in until three to five days. You yeah. just have the colostrum at the beginning. Um, and I am going to link on the show notes to the episode on blood sugar levels for newborns because I think it's important for people to know also that like what what are these protocols? What happens? How many sugar levels do they want to, you know, what are what levels are they looking at? How many do they have to do? How often? There's a lot to that. And it's something that you otherwise never hear about until you're in it like you were of yeah. <laughs> the anxiety and the stress of your baby is having this issue right now and sugar levels and we need to supplement or we, like make a decision on the fly. It was definitely something I wished I had had more knowledge about beforehand because I, yeah, I felt like I couldn't make any sort of decision. I felt like I just, I had to do what they were suggesting and maybe that was the right choice and maybe there was a different alternative, but I didn't have any idea of what that could have been. Um, yeah, because it, I, you don't know until you're sitting there and they're telling you that there's this issue. <laughs> Right. And at that point, you don't have anything to counter with. And also, it's not presented so much of as a choice, but rather like, this is the level, this is what we have to do. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'll link to that episode um, because it's really informative. And, and it, yeah, so I'll link to that. And I'll also link to an episode on milk banks, um, milk banking, that explains the process of where that donor milk is coming from and how people can donate. Um, So while this was happening, I mean, she's getting, so you're, you're, she's being put at the breast and then taking some donor milk also with a bottle and you have the breast shield. Uh Did she get to a point where they, where she was passing her sugar levels and they did, they sort of weaned out of the donor milk or did, what was the step to going home with her and not having to do anything? So it was mostly just that she was passing her sugar tests with the donor milk. And at that point it had been a couple days, um, after birth. And so they kind of just told me your milk will be coming in soon. We feel like as long as like, once your milk comes in, that she'll be totally fine. And, um, she's passing the test as long as she has the milk. So they kind of went that way that just on the assumption that my milk was going to be coming in soon. 
Mm-hmm. And while you were at the hospital, did they have you also pump? Was there anything being done or did you hand express um, to see how much colostrum you were getting? Was there any assessment with a lactation consultant? Were they coming in to see you? Like aside from just doing the supplementation, was there something else? There was a lactation consultant that came. Um, it was more focused on the pain that I was experiencing than the the milk that I was producing or the colostrum or how much or whatever, um, which I kind of appreciated because it gave me a little bit less anxiety about the not producing milk thing, you know, like they weren't focusing on that. They were just, they just kept telling me your milk will come in. Um, like, don't worry about it. Like that'll, it'll just take time and, and you have the colostrum for now and that like, that's all she needs. And we have the donor milk here to help her with her blood sugar. So what they focused on was um, the pain and they were looking for a tongue tie um, because right from the bat, like right off the bat, she, when she latched, she split my nipple. I know there's a term for it, but it was like, there's a crease down the center of it. And like instantly that happened. And so they were guessing that it was a tongue tie and it ended up being what they called tongue thrusting. And so it was more so a muscle movement that she was making than a than the shape of her mouth. Um, and so they they were kind of helping me like learn to use the shield and just kind of telling me that she would grow out of that. That um, I could position her certain ways that might be more comfortable, um, but that she would get over the tongue thrusting as she grew, um, which was helpful, but not as helpful as it could have been, I guess. Right. Did anybody do it? Uh, I, I and I am not a lactation consultant, but I do see them often do um, where they'll put a, a, like a pinky finger with the, with the pad side up into the mouth just so that they can feel the baby suck and also the tongue movement underneath. Yes. Yeah, so, well, in the hospital, they... They had me feel, yeah, how she was sucking, um, and they would feel it. But um, a little later on when I went and saw a a different lactation consultant, she actually gave me some exercises that I did with my finger, and um, that actually helped a lot. Mm -hmm. How did they explain what the tongue thrusting was to you? Um, Basically, they were saying that the, the nipple should go all the way up into her soft palate, and shouldn't that I shouldn't feel pain um, if she had a deep enough latch, but that um, even if her latch looked good on the outside, her lips were flanged out and it looked like she had a deep latch, but her tongue inside wasn't making the correct motion, so it was like hitting the nipple instead of instead of just like brushing against it, mm-hmm. um, and so that's what was causing the pain and and the nipple splitting and yeah. for sure and um i'm gonna link also to optimal there's an episode with michelle manuel on optimal oral function um and the work she does is really helpful and one of the suggestions is that like immediately contact a lactation consultant but also assessing tongue function and what exercises i'm so glad you had a lactation consultant that gave you yeah specific- what were those exercises that she told you yeah so um this was uh, a little later on, um, but she told me to, uh, so the pad side of my finger, I would put it in her mouth with the pad side up and 
uh, let her kind of establish that sucking pattern first. And then um, once she had the sucking pattern going, I would turn my finger over so the pad side was against her tongue. And I would press down on her tongue a little bit as I pulled my finger out. So it was supposed to kind of just keep her tongue down and train her tongue to stay down. Um, and I would do that before every feeding session for a while. And so doing that kind of reminded her of of how it is she's supposed to suck at the nipple and then you would put and then you would switch her to your nipple yep so and it actually did it even helped with um the pain too so not just her end of the muscle control but um it the pain wasn't gone but when I would do the exercises and then latch her it was definitely a difference as opposed to when I wouldn't do the exercises Oh, of course, because the pain is being created by however she's moving her tongue and how she's mm-hmm. like manhandling your nipple in her mouth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, let's take another break. Um, when we come back, I know we jumped a, a, a bit around from the time you got home. I want to hear a little bit more about that. those first few days home. We'll be right back. Today's episode is sponsored by Acorns, and sometimes I find that investing gets put off because it doesn't seem urgent or because with our busy lives, we may not have the time to research and manage said investments, which is why I so appreciate that Acorns makes it easy to start automatically saving and investing for your future and that you don't need a lot of money or expertise to invest with Acorns. In fact, you can get started with just your spare change. So for example, I take advantage of Acorn's roundup feature where they round up the purchase amounts I make in my linked account to the nearest dollar, and then they automatically transfer that to my invest account portfolio. Also, Acorns can recommend an expert build portfolio that fits you and your money goals, then automatically invests your money for you. For me, that's easy peasy investing. Head to acorns.com slash birthful or download the Acorns app to start saving and investing for your future today. Client testimonial may not be representative of all clients. Tier 1 compensation provided. Compensation provides an incentive to positively promote Acorns. View important disclosures at acorns.com slash birthful. Investing involves risk, including loss of principal. Please consider your objectives, risk tolerance, and Acorns fees before investing. Acorns Advisors LLC Acorns is an SEC-registered investment advisor. Brokerage services are provided to clients of Acorns by Acorn Securities LLC. Member FINRA SIPC. For more information, visit acorns.com. And we are back talking with Melissa Stadler about her breastfeeding experience. So um, I did jump ahead, but let's go back to you were at the hospital. They said, you know, as long as your milk comes in, it's going to her sugar levels are going to be fine. And here are things so that you were working with the lactation consultant to try to adjust her in a way to minimize the, the pain during breastfeeding. So what happened then when you... So, um, I was feeling better again, a little more confident. Um, I had the the shield and things were working pretty well with that. Still painful, but not as bad as that first latch. Um, then I, we got home and took her to her first appointment. Um, and even then things were still fine. She had dropped seven and a half percent, uh, roughly of her birth weight from her birth weight and her her pediatrician was like that's she's so she's dropped weight that's totally normal newborns drop weight um she's like it's a little bit high 
but nothing to worry about right now. Um, but she did want to uh, check her again soon um, just to monitor her weight a little bit. And so two weeks later, we brought her back and uh, she was she had gone over the 10% mark. Um, so from what we were told, uh, the birth weight should, should drop. Um, they should lose weight for maybe around the first week or so. And then, uh, should start to, they should be starting to at least gain a little bit by the two week mm -hmm. mark, but she was still dropping and it had gone over that 10%. Um, so at that point she, um, or the pediatrician had me start a triple feeding uh, cycle where I would breastfeed Claire and then I would pump right after that. So I'd breastfeed her on both sides and then pump and then whatever I could express from the pump, I would feed her in a bottle. So each feeding session was that three-part um, process. Um, and that the idea was that if she, if her latch wasn't, wasn't working properly that she might not be getting as much milk as she needed because she wasn't sucking correctly. Um, so from the bottle, she could still get my expressed milk and hopefully get her weight back up. Um, and it was after, so backing up just a little bit, it was after the first appointment with the pediatrician that I started seeing the lactation consultant. Um, and she had me work at because my milk had just come in and so I was having some engorgement she had me work on some reverse pressure softening to help her latch um, so like when the engorgement would happen the nipple would be too shallow I guess for her to be able to get onto so the reverse pressure softening was just taking two fingers on either side and kind of pressing down to soften the base of the nipple so that she could have more surface area I guess to latch the way I've heard it described, and it, it really helps, is um, when it, your breasts are engorged, it's more like, so imagine a balloon and how you, when it's not very full or not very tight, um, there's still air in it, but you can like pull some and, and shape it, right, into more of el elongated stuff, yeah. uh, shape. But if it's really full of air, if you're trying, it's just, it. there's nothing that you can sort of latch onto. Mm-hmm. And um, and so she also, she told me that um, the nipple shield could be um, impacting the weight loss um, because they can interfere with the, the milk intake. And she gave me the tongue exercises that first day. Um, so then at the two-week mark is when I went back and started doing the triple feeding, adding the triple feeding to our uh, routine. And at first I was triple feeding every hour and a half and I was getting about an ounce of milk at a time from pumping. So she would nurse on both sides and then I would pump an ounce after she'd nursed and feed her that from the bottom. So when were you sleeping in all this? Like <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, <laughs> that's definitely, I, I didn't uh, do a lot of sleeping. Um, so yeah, during the yeah, day I was... That sounds really hard. Yeah. Um, during the day, I was pumping every hour and a half. At night, I would lengthen that to every three to four hours. But it was still, um, yeah, it was a lot. And um, I ended up sleeping with her in 
So in her nursery, we had a reclining chair, and um, it was one. Of, it was like one of those things that before I had her, I was like, I will never, ever, ever, ever co-sleep. Like I'm gonna put her on her back in the crib by herself, and like I, it went out the window so fast. As soon as I started the whole breastfeeding process, she was she slept on my chest in the chair, and I had these pillows under my arms to kind of prop them up and make this little baby fortress. And I had my pump on a stand next to me, and we just went through the nights like that. Otherwise, I wouldn't have slept at all. (laughs) And you didn't, bringing her like into your bed wasn't a... Yeah, so she couldn't nurse, she couldn't side-lying position nurse. Mm -hmm. Um, She couldn't figure, like she just couldn't latch it all that way um, for some reason. So the only way I could get her to latch was in the cradle position, leaning forward. And um, she was nursing for an hour to over an hour each time she was latched and then that mixed with the pumping was it just the in and out of bed and everything it just yeah (laughs) so we ended up just in the recliner and I would kind of sit forward and then lean lean back and sit forward and lean back Mm -hmm. and you had only seen the pediatrician or sorry the lactation consultant that one time right after your pediatrician or the the independent lactation consultant one time after the first meeting with your pediatrician and then it was two weeks before you saw the pediatrician again and did you see the consult the lactation consultant any time in between or was it just you guys figuring it out during those two weeks yes so after we started the triple feeding I went back to see the lactation consultant her name is Kara Um, so I, I started seeing Kara again pretty regularly after that because Um, She could do weight checks with Claire without me having to go into the pediatrician's office every time. Um, And so they were kind of in contact with her weight check-ins. And so I I saw her pretty frequently. She, um, (laughs) there's so many parts to this whole thing. So it was the, there was the triple feeding process. There was the tongue thrusting pain and then the exercises that I was doing with her tongue to help that pain and then I also started experiencing nipple blanching um so Mm. they would turn white and it was painful that way too but it was a different kind of pain um and she called it uh Raynaud's and it it had to do with I guess response to cold and so I was adding heat compresses and um she had me start spacing out the pumping so I would before I was feeding pumping bottle all back to back and she thought that might have been triggering the Raynaud's a little bit. So I would wait an hour after feeding to pump um, after that. And that helped a little bit. Um, she also ref- uh, had me, she referred me to a craniosacral therapist at one point. Um, and I went to her and I, I'm still sort of on the fence about whether or not it was effective. Um all I know is when I went to see her, she had some like baby whispering stuff she did. Like Claire would be laying there crying and she would like just touch her head and she would stop crying and just relax. And I was like, can you teach me that? But <laughs> did you guys just do the one cranial sacral therapy? I just went the one time. Um, and that's why I still, I don't know how effective it could have been. I just know that um, it was really painful on one side, like more so than the other. 
she did some work with her and then the pain switched. So it was more painful on the other side, but the one side felt better <laughs> after that session. Um, so it was definitely an interesting sort of uh, experience, but it was a little, we, we couldn't really, our insurance didn't cover it and it was a little more than we could afford to keep, continue doing. Uh, yeah, no, I hear you completely. It's tough because you got so much going on and there's only so many hours in the day and so many referrals and people's telling you s different things. And also, but the reason I'm glad you brought up the cranial sacral therapy is because of considering how her entry into the world, right, with the uh -huh. two hours of pushing and probably got a lot of different pressures on her neck and head as the, they were trying to get her out through the with the shoulder dystocia situation. Uh -huh. There might have been. I, I I will link to that oral function um episode for sure. But it's not just about the tip of the tongue, <laughs> right? Which is what we usually see. The tongue is so long, and and how jaw movement and neck. If you have a kink in your neck or any of tensions in in ligaments, tendons, muscles, all of that comes into like breastfeeding is so complex mm -hmm. in terms of function that I I totally can imagine that you saw a difference in terms of what she was doing with her mouth, but with that feedback of pain going different to one breast than the other. Yeah, and she did say so. She her she asked if there was more pain on one side, and she did work more on the side like where she would be I don't know yeah whichever side affected the left side um she was focusing on more than the other so it kind of it just made me wonder if it was it was related to that why this the pain switched to the other side like mm -hmm. she did you guys been... do any any chiropractic adjustments on Claire um no I didn't I never saw a chiropractor Sorry to like tangent you off to no, yeah, land. <laughs> yeah, it was it was definitely I'd never heard of it. Um but it was it was definitely interesting. And the baby whispering was uh, was really cool to watch. The, just like a single touch could just melt her like she would just totally relax. It was and that's the magic of cranial sacral that it works on nervous system and fascia, which is the there's it's like a sheath that covers all our organs and body, all parts of us, um, surrounds the tongue. And it's, you know how, do you eat chicken? Yes. I don't eat chicken, but <laughs> I used to at some point. And you know that when you get like a chicken breast, that little filmy thing that's on top, just on, oh, yeah. on top of the muscle, that's the fascia. It's this, it's this like sheath that we have between the skin and the muscle. Okay. Um, and so cranial sacral works on that level. That's why it's like she's just touching her, but it's this exquisite sort of very light touch because if you go too deep, you're touching muscle. They just want to get the kinks out of that that little sheath. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It looks like baby whispering for sure. <laughs> so you think you're not doing anything. <laughs> yeah. So I, I guess going back to her, so the triple pumping actually ended up working pretty well. Uh, she, over the weekend um, that I started it, she gained two ounces in three days. So it was her mm -hmm. first gain in weight um, that we'd had since birth. Um, so that was uh, after the weekend of triple pumping and being completely exhausted. It was 
good to know that something was happening. <laughs> um, and it gave me some more confidence again that like, okay, like it's a little extra work, but I am still feeding my baby and I'm doing my job and we're getting somewhere. Um, and let's see, it was around one month old that she finally got back to her birth weight. Um, so I was, at, over the course of time, I was pumping larger and larger volumes, still continuing the triple pumping or the triple feeding with the pumping. And um, she, yeah, a few days before she turned one month old, she was only 2%, 2.8% under her birth weight. So she was almost there. And then around a month, she got back up to it. Um, and then by, uh, by four months, she had doubled. She, Yeah, by four months is when she had doubled her weight. And I had stopped the triple feeding um, somewhere around that one month. Yeah, so she started gaining pretty steadily from there on. And um, the latch, I think that the tongue exercises were helping her latch. But then after the triple feeding stopped, um, with still working with Kara, my lactation consultant, She, our next goal was to try and figure out how to get the shield off because um, I would I would try to take it off even a month later and it was still just so painful and I couldn't I couldn't do it um, so we continued doing the tongue exercises and starting to wean off the shield so I would do like one feeding per day without it and it would be painful but it would help her I guess feel what her actual latch should feel like without that barrier and so she started well, getting yeah. that practice, I guess. Um, so that's another learning curve for sure. So my question is, let's go back just a second to you'd been, when she was a month old and she got back to birth weight, which my goodness, what a milestone. Yeah. <laughs> um, but during that, that's a whole month that you were triple feeding, pumping at all hours, not getting sleep, like... How, towards the end of that month, where was your mental state and how are you feeling about, it? Uh, were you even thinking like how much longer you were going to do this? Where, yeah. Where were you at? yeah. Well, so I, more than anything, I hated my breast pump. <laughs> so I was so over that thing um, after all of it. But um, I think more than anything, it made me want to continue breastfeeding as long as I possibly could because I like it felt like so much groundwork that had been laid like I'd been doing all of this work and and so I felt like to stop breastfeeding like if I would have stopped at six months it felt like a disservice to everything I had done before I guess I like I'd worked so hard to get there so we're still breastfeeding at 10 months um and yeah, but yeah, my goal is to go as long as as she wants to, as long as we can, um, just because I think it gave me that extra perspective on it, that it's not something that you should always just take for granted. It's not that easy, just like latch and go that I pictured in my head before I had her. And I mean, now it is. It's um, now it's very simple. I mean, she latches and she nurses and then she's done and <laughs> goes on and it hurt. yeah no no pain at all anymore um and the yeah. pain probably went away around two months um I had my sister-in-law take some uh breastfeeding photos of us at two months 
and it was kind of like this internal celebration of like I am doing this without a nipple shield and it doesn't hurt and we we figured it out and um but yeah I think um and I I was talking to Kara yesterday actually about about this episode and and we both felt like it was important to mention that because because I don't want to frame this in a way that that puts new moms off of breastfeeding I guess Um, because it can sound kind of scary I think when you just like go through all of these terrible difficult things that we had to go through but um but I feel like it was more than worth it um now looking back on it it it's all so foggy like I literally have to have notes here to read to even remember (laughs) all of the details because because it was it feels like so long ago that we even did it and and now it's so good that it's it's definitely worth going through and it's not it's not that common either um it's not everybody is going to have all of those issues but i do feel like it's still important to share because um i feel like it's good to know that that can happen and to not go in i guess like i did so cocky like that nothing bad could ever happen. Um, but just to know that there are, is a whole host of, um, a whole variety of things that can happen during, during a breastfeeding journey and that there are ways to work through it and that there are resources and to kind of know what, what those resources are ahead of time. Well, and that's key, right, of lining up those resources ahead of time um, so that you have your lactation consultant kind of on speed dial even before the baby is born. And even if you can, I encourage people to connect and meet with the lactation consultant even before they yeah. they have their babies. And like, like that sounds weird, but it's not. It gives a, do uh, you start a relationship? It lays some groundwork. They can take a look at your nipples and you know, if by any chance there's some physical situation that might come up, they can have, you guys can be on top of it and know like, this might be a challenge. So, you know, let's keep this in mind. Um, Do that and, or go to a breastfeeding mom's group in your area, like La Leche League, a breastfeeding cafe, whatever it is. It, if you're pregnant, go, it's not going to be weird. They will... (laughs) Gladly, open arms, welcome you to, so you can see breastfeeding, because I think that's one of the biggest problems. We don't see it mm-hmm. happening. Um, and then hearing also their stories, like like your, the, the, the story that you've shared about how everybody has some sort of obstacles and, and to a more lesser degree of having to, you know, sometimes then everything was perfect and everything was great. Everything was f- smooth flo- flowing from the beginning. And then baby went on a nursing strike and then want to eat for three days. Yeah. And what do you do with that? <laughs> like, there's so many weird things, not weird, but so un- unexpected things that can happen. Um, yeah. For sure. Um, I thought Kara yesterday mentioned something that was important too, that, um, it's it's easy to feel like there's all these different obstacles like so she has her tongue thrusting problem and she's not gaining weight and I'm having this Raynaud's pain and it's like feels like all of these different issues but she mentioned how they don't really happen in isolation that it's 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 this network of your body and the baby and this communication that's happening and it's not just 
all of these individual problems, but it's this whole collective sort of process um, and trying to see how all of those pieces connect and how one one solution can also solve other obstacles as well and trying to get the whole process to work together, um, which I feel is an important perspective. Absolutely. Now, um, one thing that I wanted to talk about is how did you get rid of that nipple shield? Because I find that is a big obstacle for a lot of people and it can be really difficult to to remove it and it seems like it was around month two that you were you'd like worked for it on it for about a month Mm -hmm. um yeah tell me about that so um I think initially it's important um because this is something I had no clue about but it's important to think about the size of the nipple shield um because at first I had the wrong size and it was one causing more pain and it was also making it harder to stay on. It was, I think it was affecting her latch. Um, So having the right fit of nipple shield is important because then you're not starting from 10 steps back. You're like in the right spot with the actual device itself um, to move forward. Um, And then. Wait, so. How so that that tells me that you started out with the wrong size. How did um you get to the right size one so that people say that are because you were giving this given this nipple shield in the hospital, um yes. and in the hospital, how can you know that you've got the wrong size if the lactation you know you're like the lactation consultant handed me this I'll use this um, yeah. if they didn't take the time to fit you like how can you identify if it's not the right size. So I think on one one hand, I think choosing your lactation consultant is almost as important as choosing your your provider for your birth and your um, your pregnancy because I feel like every yeah it can be it can be a completely different experience. I've talked with several lactation consultants at this point, and um, by far, <clears throat> Kara was was the most knowledgeable, the most helpful, the most willing to work through that whole process with me. And um, that w- it was so important to have somebody who could take the time to do that. Um, because at the hospital, they didn't measure my nipple size. They didn't think about the, they just kind of eyeballed it and gave me the shield and moved on. And then um, it was actually uh, a video chat lactation consultant that told me about the different sizes. Um, it was so this is a little bit of a tangent but um i got my breast pump through insurance which i want to talk about before we're done here um and then through my breast pump there was a 30 day trial of the medella um lactation consultant online service um so it's 24 hour access to video chat with ibclcs um that you can just kind of hash things out with. And so it was the middle of the night. I had just gotten home. It was our first night at home. And I was just having all this pain. I was feeling just hopeless. Like I was like, this is never going to stop hurting. And granted it was day one and I was, everything was new, but I pulled up this video chat and uh, she was able to just kind of talk through things with me. And she, she was like, I can't measure you. So I don't know what size you are, but find somebody who can. And my guess is that it's 
the size of your nipple shield. And so then later on, when I eventually talked to Kara, she was able to actually measure and we were able to find um, a better size for that. And on top of that, the the pump flanges, um, I was able to resize my pump flanges to help with the pain of pumping as well. And that was all through the video uh, IBCLC that helped you to do that? Yes. Yep. And then so That's later amazing. on, Kara That's- was the one that measured me. But yeah, she just the video chat. Um, she was the first one who even brought up that maybe it was the wrong size. Right. And and no, I and I would encourage people also like that. I'm going to put that resource on the on the show notes as well. Um, and I would encourage people to also follow like I did a a, a video, uh, sorry, a Facebook live recently on our fifth year celebration with uh, Abby Thuring, who's the badass breastfeeder. And on her Instagram feed, she does tips from time to time. And she just had like a 15 minute little video, 15 second little minute uh, mini video tip um, about flange sizes. And right, like it doesn't take much to figure it out. Once you think about it, it's like, duh, of course, not everybody has the same size nipple. (laughs) Yeah, it's just something, yeah, it seems super obvious once you start looking at it, and it's very easy to resize, but yeah, just like when you're brand new to it, and you're just like, you don't even think about that, it's, it was, but it was a huge thing, and then in the weaning process, weaning off the nipple shield, um, it was, I think it made that process easier, and then um, from there, it was just, like I said, kind of that trial and error, like, can I take it off now? Okay, this is tolerable. I can deal with it for this one nursing session. And then I would put it back on for the rest of the day. And then I'd be like, okay, this one is okay. And then the next nursing session, try it again. And then, okay, this feels okay. And just kind of working through that gradually, because I think if you just try to take it off and get rid of it, you're back where you started where your nipples are cracked or, or even, you know, blistering or you're in a lot of pain and then you put it back on and it's that never ending process. But I think it's really important to just kind of take those baby steps off of it. Um, so you're not damaging your nipples because then you're back at square one. Oh, yeah. No, you don't want to backtrack, but you just are giving the opportunity for that tongue to function differently to get to, like you said, to get the gist of what it feels like and what adjustments need to be made now that there's not that barrier in between. Uh, Around two months, you had your sister or your sister take pictures of you breastfeeding without a nipple shield. Was it at that point that you felt like, Oh, we finally have this. Or when when did you feel like we're over this crazy hump and now breastfeeding is wonderful? Um, so that's kind of a it's a mixed question because I I hit that point around t- when she was two months where I was the shield was gone. Every single feeding was pain free. I felt so good. This giant wave of relief and excitement because I was like, I finally like we're here where I wanted to be. Like just peaceful breastfeeding and that bonding, the skin to skin contact with her mouth. There was no silicone there anymore. And it was, it felt so good. And then like two days later, um, I got thrush. (laughs) So I just remember waking up in the middle of the night and my nipples were just burning. They were burning so bad. And I was like, what is happening? Like, this is like this. I, everything was good. I just started crying. I was like, we, we were on the home stretch. Like things were great. Why is this pain here? And, um, I went back to Kara again and, 
and she told me it was probably thrush and um i ended up using the gentian violet um so you like paint it on mm-hmm. and then the baby latches and so then my nipples are purple and her mouth is purple and it was this whole thing but um i mean we made it we made it past that too um but after the thrush then it, uh shortly after 2 months is and then onward it, I, it was pain free and now you're at 10 months yay yep <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh my goodness what a sur- what a mountain of work and such an obstacle to conquer for sure yeah i think it's so hard because um during those times when it's when it's dire in the middle of the night and your nipples hurt i know i felt and often in situations i was like i can't anymore i can't do this anymore i yeah. and you're sleep deprived and i can't and then you and then you go like okay let's try it one more time so what kept you going what kept you going when it was so dire um i i think the biggest contributing factor was my support system i think having kara there to ask questions and just troubleshoot with every whenever i needed to go see her i could i could go work things out and then my husband um was amazing he even when he he went back to work pretty quickly after she was born but he was still doing all the cleaning and the dishes he was bringing me smoothies every morning and making me oatmeal and he would bring me water and um that yeah just like all those little things that keep you kind of propped up when you're <laughs> when you're barely holding it together uh, it was essential um and then mm-hmm. just knowing when you've reached your limit and knowing that it's okay to take a break sometimes i would just set her down in her pack and play and i would go sit in the laundry room which is the farthest room away from where she was and i would just sit on the floor and and like sit and find a quiet moment and um and just know that I had to walk away and be done for a minute and then I could kind of take some breaths and come back to it but yeah mm-hmm. it, it can be really overwhelming um and I I feel like it's important to know that because when you're feeling that you're like what's wrong with me why am I so angry why am I so like emotional right now why am I like why do I hate my baby <laughs> But you don't hate your baby. You're just tired and and feeling run down. And it's okay to take a minute to recollect yourself. Absolutely. And you don't have, you'll always love your baby, but you don't have to only love your baby all the time, right? You can yeah. love and hate your baby for a second. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And also, I, I want to have, you know, understanding and grace for th- those people out there who are in a situation that that might have all these things going on and say they have to go back to work at two weeks yeah. or, you know, that they, they don't have the time to just focus on this and understanding that those are extra circumstances that are going to up the game so much more that, you know, I want to lessen the guilt. Yeah. If of not being of of saying you know what i this is just too much i've found my limit and then um, we're going to find a different way to connect and bond because i i have heard that from stories and other parents of 
it was just so overwhelming. One, I wasn't bonding or connecting with my child. It was just about the pump. And then once we stopped, it was an amazing relief. So I think that's, I want to stress that that's a choice that only you can make of what's right for you. But I would so appreciate the different perspectives on it and, and hearing stories like yours of we went through all this, but hey, we got it, like this wasn't the way it was going to be forever. We did get yeah. to a place. There was changes, improvement. We got to a place where now things are lovely breastfeeding wise. Yeah. And I th- yeah, like you said, I think it's important to I think more than anything, it's a testament to what mothers do what all mothers do for their babies because like you said not everybody goes through the breastfeeding process and it's it's just too much and I think at some point like you need to you need to take your own mental state into account and know what your limits are and when you've reached that you've reached that but um every mom goes through those sacrifices if it's not with breastfeeding it's something else um and I, yeah, I, I like to kind of explain that to people because just because I went through all of these struggles with breastfeeding and you didn't, that, I mean, you make other sacrifices for your baby that I have never made. So, I mean, it's all, it's all so unique, every story and every relationship. And I think it, it gets so caught up, especially when you're looking through like Instagram and Facebook, it's, it, things get so caught up on that feeding journey. Like, how you're feeding your baby and and I think a lot of guilt comes from that but it gets distracted from the fact that no matter what you're like how you're feeding your baby we're all making sacrifices and going through struggles and working through difficult moments and moments of overwhelming frustration and <laughs> and it all yeah. Yeah. matters <laughs> it's all important absolutely and you've got to find the balance that's right for you Ugh. I so appreciate you coming on the show today to share this story, your story of breastfeeding. Um, I think we definitely need to hear more of those. And yeah. as as you were talking, I'm going like, oh, there's this episode. There's this episode. Like there's like <laughs> 10 more episodes that I want everybody to to listen to. So that resource list on the show notes yeah, might be definitely, a little. I heard, I heard some new ones that I haven't heard yet. So I'll have to go in and check those out too. Yeah, and I was thinking of um, Jack Newman, and and there's a couple with him, um, and he he despises nipple shields, so it's a really great like the way he talks about it. It's hilarious. Um, <laughs> he's a, he's a lactation consultant. Peter. Before we wrap up, is there anything else you wanted to tell the the listeners about breastfeeding? Yeah, so I did want to mention um, that. The breast pump through insurance thing that uh, I know you've mentioned on the show before, and um, I'm, I'm sure people, when you're pregnant, you see the ads pop up all over the place for like Aeroflow and where you can get your breast pump through insurance. Um, but something that I didn't know about um, that I only kind of realized working in the billing department at the hospital was that if you call your insurance company directly, sometimes you can be covered for more than you can through the third party company. So I, through Aeroflow and a couple other um, companies that I uh, got, like, looked at for a breast pump, I was only able to get a certain amount covered. And then if I, when I called my insurance directly, they do a full reimbursement of any breast pump of my choice. So I was able to buy it up front, send them the receipt, and then they reimbursed me in full 
So I was able to choose exactly what breast pump I wanted. Um, and I don't, not every insurance is like that, but I think it's important to call your specific insurance company and see what your coverage is because there might be more options than you realize. Mm, that is a great point. Fantastic. Um, thank you again so very much for sharing your story and being here on the show today. This was lovely. Yes, thank you. I'm, it was awesome to be a part of it. Like I said, I listened to it my whole third trimester, and it's it's really cool to, to be on here. Mighty Ones, find the in-depth show notes for this episode at birthful.com, where you can also learn more about me, the show, send me messages, and more. This episode was produced by me and made possible by you. The title song for this podcast is Vive Ace by Kevin McLeod, and the sponsorship song is Air Hockey Saloon by Chris Zabriskie. Find them both at freemusicarchive.org. Oh, and here's what Melissa said was happening with her breakfast. I actually have not eaten breakfast yet. I am drinking some coffee. <laughs> I'm Adriana Lozada. Please join me next week when I'll be talking to another maternity pro to inform your intuition here at the Birthful Podcast. Thanks so very much for listening. This episode is copyright 2020 by Adriana Lozada. Hey, Mighty One. Did you know that if you started listening to one birthful episode per day at the start of your pregnancy, your baby would be about three months old before you got through all of them? That is so much birthful. So to ease us into the summer and to help you catch up on your listening, we're going back to releasing one episode per week instead of two. Now you know.